Alright, good morning everybody. Today Bezrat Hashem will be learning Daf Chaf Gimel in Maseches Yuma. And uh, we start nine lines up from Chaf Bezim and Bez. We didn't finish, but neither did Rabari Leibowitz. Whenever he falls short, I always emulate him uh, in terms of finishing the entire Daf, but we'll continue. It's amazing the kind of life sort of psychology lessons, very uh, very unusual that we learn here. And we're in the middle of a discussion about the psychology, I guess you could say, uh, analysis of the personality of Shaul HaMelech. And we see that, you know, we read Navi, Pashup Shat, and by the time Shaul is at the end of his Malchus, he, he's, he's angry, he's obsessed with David taking over, he's throwing spears. I mean, he seems like he's, he's lost his, his mind, like he's lost his way. But by the same token, he was chosen for a reason. And we see in our Gemara that he, in fact, was an unbelievable tzaddik, right? Really head and shoulders above Klal Yisrael. I mean, there was a reason why he was chosen as king. He really was um, pure, sincere, and, um, and, and obviously uh, pious, and all of those things. And, and somewhere along the way, he lost his way. So we talked about yesterday, the Baskol, it says that you shouldn't be too much of a tzaddik, you should be too much of a rasha. And I think that that actually plays out in the, in the continuation over here uh, today uh, because it actually has to do also with the rest of the Gemara. The idea uh, that we're going to be teasing out here is you have to try uh, as best you can, and it's always true, you have to try to do the Ratzon Hashem, obviously. And although Shaul HaMelech always did try to do the Ratzon Hashem, Sometimes it's easy to get caught in your own sensibilities and to sort of superimpose that on what is the Ratzon Hashem. And I, and, and I really do believe that's shot in the Gemara when it says, don't be too much of a tzaddik, don't be too much of a rasha. Of course, you could always be a tzaddik and you could always strive to be the biggest tzaddik you can be. But what I think it means, what I think the Pashup shot is, is that it's saying, don't... Um, right? It's almost like Baltosif and Baltigra, right? Like, don't add things that aren't things. And don't, right, because that's the same as, as, as negating the actual pure, uh, pure message of, of, uh, of what the Torah is trying to tell you. And when you do that, you could stray in both directions. And so it's therefore, in that context, not as surprising that somebody who would be adding things, um, could also ultimately kill the, the, um, the Kohanim of Nov, etc., as, as ended up hap- happening later in Shaul's life. And he really did, unfortunately, kind of like lose, lose his mind over this. And sometimes the more, uh, the more in the beginning, um, the more well-meaning you are, I've been stalling for you, Barry, don't worry. The more, sometimes the more well-meaning you are in the beginning, right? It's like, Andrew, have you ever seen this in, uh, in your lifetime in business where somebody is, is too much of a, of a softy in the beginning, and then, so, so when the rubber hits the road, they go, they, 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 they all of a sudden become um, more ferocious in the other direction. Meaning, if you're just a straight shooter, and you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do, and you keep the middle road, so then you don't end up veering off to the sides. I've said too much, and uh, now I just wanted to say it by way of introduction uh, with regards to Shaul Melech, because it is, seems to be like a personality analysis. So in nine lines up from the bottom of Chafez and Bez, we said, Ben Shana Shaul B'Malkot. The, the Pasuk says that Shaul became king when he was a year old. Now, we know that he was not a year old. That's not physically true. That's not actually the case. That's not how we all, but it means that he was so sincere, 
right? And so Tamim will say that he, it was as if he was a year old. As Rav Huna says, I'm a Rav Huna, he was pure like a one-year-old, says Rav Nachem Yitzchak. for some reason is very animated about this. No, no, no. Why is he animated? Because everything that happened to at the end, you can't say Shaul was the purest snow necessarily. It says, He's like a one-year-old, not just in, in the sense that he was pure of chait, but he's like a one-year-old in that he's marinating in a soiled diaper, like a baby in a, in a diaper. So to that, after Rav Nachman Be'etzchuk said that statement, he experienced nightmares. Even today, when, they, when, when you, say, when you uh, experience something terrible, they say, what's going on? And in colloquial Hebrew, they say, Zehaya siyut. Siyut is a nightmare. So if Nachman has a siyut, in nightmare, Amar na'nesi lachem atzmos shol ben kish. And in that nightmare, he finds himself uh, uh, talking and trying to appease shol ben kish, the bones. He says, I, and he says to shol, to shol, you know, I want to apologize. I, I didn't speak appropriately about you by talking about you like you're a baby with a soiled diaper. So hadar chazos siyut bechelme, and then he had a following, uh, a follow up nightmare. And there he said, Amar naneitzil lechem atzmas shol ben kish melech Israel. There he even adds more kavod. Right? He feels maybe that he had this recurring nightmare because the first time he did not give him enough kavod in response, and now he's calling him melech Israel. Okay. So Doctor Rabbi Glatt, when he was saying this daf, was talking about. Mefarshim uh, that say that even Nachman Bar Yitzchak, when he said that he's like a baby in a soiled diaper, he meant it in a positive way. How could that be so? Because what he meant was that Shaul was so sincere, right, that sometimes when you do something very, very sincerely, you don't have, um, you're not as concerned with what people's perception will be of your actions, right? You want to do the right thing. And so, okay, some people will like it, some people won't like it, but it's like the opposite, right, of the politics of taking a survey and then and then doing your actions based on what the popular reaction is going to be and going with that. This is the opposite of that. This was a full sincerity of Shalom Elch. He had the courage of his convictions and sincerity and all the tamimus and all that. And like a baby in a soiled diaper that's not so concerned about his soiled diaper, the, um, Shaul was not so concerned. They could be haters, but he's not going to be um, swayed by that in a positive way. Be that as it may, that's still not the language you're supposed to use, a soil diaper, and that is what he was repentant about, Rav Nachman Yitzchak, and that is uh, the end of that little piece. Now, with regards to King Shaul, Amar of Yehuda Amar Shmuel, Again, an unbelievable little life lesson. We have life hacks here. Uh, and Rav Yehuda Amar Shmuel is saying, right, that the reason why Shaul could never last was because he did not have what? A flaw in his, in his yichus. Because he was too perfect. Some, and when something seems too perfect, it's usually hiding something even worse. It's always good. Or, or, or another way, what the Gemara is really saying is, if a person ha- doesn't have imperfections, so then he doesn't have checks and balances. Uh, we'll read it in the Gemara in a second. Uh, what it basically saying is if a person has imperfections or skeletons in his closet, which the Gemara has a great phrase for, so then anytime they start thinking too much of their own opinion, you could always say, well, listen, I mean, let's be a little bit humble here because look, you have this skeleton in the closet. 
you know, obviously you have to, you have to have a little bit of humility. Whereas Shalom Elach was so really perfect in a certain sense, in, in every way that maybe that contributed to his sort of like lack of checks and balances and in some way enabled him to infuse his own judgment into situations where he should have uh, more humbly just accepted the Ratzon Hashem. So let's read this inside. If, why, what, what's going on? Anytime you're really talking about a like community leader, you don't put somebody up there. Here's the phrase. Kupa shel shratzim tluyam lo melchorav. Kupa shel shratzim. Technically, it's a box of right uh, creepy uh, insects, but or a skeleton in the closet, as it were. Tluyam lo melchorav. Unless he has something that you, some dirt that you could get on him. Why? Sheim tazuach daito alav. Because if he comes a little bit too caught up in his own philosophies, omer lo chazor lachorecha. We tell him, listen, look behind you. Look in your closet. Look at that Kupa Shalshratzim and you'll see. Maybe you should be a little, maybe, maybe you shouldn't get carried away with yourself. Um, big lesson over here. And, and, and I really do think it, it fits into our Mishnah, this idea of, um, and I think it bears repeating now as we're about to start Chav Gimel. Uh, the, the idea, because we said in our Mishnah yesterday, we started with the idea of the Kohanim running up the ramp and, uh, and, and somebody got hurt. Today we're going to, go back to that scenario, and we're going to see that one year, in fact, somebody didn't just break their leg, but somebody got killed. And while it's hard to avoid, right, in this time where people are still sitting shiva for the tragedy in Meron, um, it's, it's very, and all the Rabbanim are saying, to, 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 to assume uh, a cause and effect, or this happened because of that or that, we do not know that. We cannot, the ways of Hashem are inscrutable. And we do not know, so I, I figured that I would just stick to two messages, which I think are, in fact, the messages that will bear out in the Gemara. Message number one is, the ways of Hashem are inscrutable, and so this humility that Shalom Melech needed, uh, and that David Melech actually had, what was the humility? That you really should just listen purely to the Ratzon Hashem to the best that you can, and don't make any assumptions that Hashem did this because of that, Hashem wants this, Hashem wants that. You just try to do the Ratzon Hashem as best you can. If it turns out that what you did was not the Ratzon Hashem, then immediately accept that with humility that you, that, that you don't know. In other words, don't get caught up in your own narrative, right? Immediately accept that it could be that you're wrong. And so that's one thing. And the second thing, maybe even more Nogea for us, is the response always is appropriate to have more Ben Adam Lechavero, to increase the Ben Adam Lechavero. It's always an appropriate response to be as sensitive as you possibly could be to, to, to your fellow. Um, and then, and if there's more Achdus and more love, Bezat Hashem will be Zochet to Refuah and Yeshua's. And, and we'll see, this actually bears out in the Gemara. So in that sense, the calendrical coincidence, as well as the message of the Gemara, is some form of Nechama, I'm sure, all over the world for this. It's actually uh, very moving. Okay, so just with regards, finishing up with Shalom Melech, Amar Yehuda Amar Rav, Why was he punished? So this is a totally different, opposite thing, which is he was Mochel on his Kavod. So again, it all fits in, really, because Mochel on his Kavod, right, you would say, well, so that is humility. So yes, it is, but again, everything has to be in its proper place. It says that you're not supposed to be Mochel on your Kavod if you're a Melech. So again, if you're, if you're, misplacing your sensibilities, right? You're trying to apply uh, the Egla Arufa sensibility to a Malik, or you're applying, trying to apply your humility to being a Melech where you're not supposed to, that's where you get into trouble. So the Pasuk says, 
How do we know he, he was mochel and his kavod? Shenamar. The pasuk says, "Uvnei v'lialamru ma'ayishienu zevi v'zuhu v'loy v'ulo mincha v'hikim acharish." V'hikim acharish means like this: that the bnei v'lial they were a bunch of clowns that were very, very critical of Shalom Elech, as, as, as people are of any political figure, and they were mevazahim. And so, in that, and he acted like a mute, like he didn't hear them. In other words, clearly, um, one would say this was coming from his humility and his sincerity and his, and his lack of uh, you know, concern for what other people thought of him, but whatever the reason was, that was misplaced. In that context, he didn't respond to them at all. And then the Ammoni went up and besieged Devesh Gilad. Now, now that was right a, a situation where they mocked him, right? And and again, um, Shalom Melech was um, was mute. So to that, um, that that was not the way Shalom Melech was supposed to react. Because as we arrive at Chavkim Al it says Kol Kamid Chacham. So this is an unbelievable statement that a tam chacham is supposed to is supposed to bite like a snake, it's supposed to take revenge or bear a grudge like a snake. Rashi v'noter bear a grudge. Eva kenachash believebo. Unbelievable. That's what you need to have to be a tam chacham. What does that even mean? What kind of what kind of uh, Thing is this, what kind of lesson is this? This seems to be counter to, to Torah, so the Gemara is going to discuss. I, says the Gemara, we have explicit psukim, you're not supposed to have nakama and bear a grudge. So why is this a value that a Tamachacham is supposed to have nakama and bear a grudge? What's going on here? So the Gemara says, like a wild answer, when it says don't bear a grudge, it's only referring to money. What's the scenario? As follows. The Tanya, here's the Brisa. Ezun Nikima. What's revenge? Ezun Tira. And what's bearing grudge? As follows. Nikima. Um, revenge is Amar Lo Magalcha. Uh oh. Andrew and Barry's relationship is on the rocks again. Here's what happened. Andrew wanted to borrow Barry's uh, lawnmower. So Amar Lo. So Barry said no. Love. So Lamachar Amar Lo. Who? Ashileni Kardumach. And then, right, the next day, Barry wants to, bu- wants to um, borrow Andrew's hatchet. So Amalo, so Andrew says, Any Mashilcha, I'm not lending you my hatchet, because you didn't lend me your lawnmower. Zuhi Nakima. This would be the, an example of revenge that you're not supposed to do. The Hazel and Natira, what would be bearing grudge? So here again, Amalo Hashilani Kardumach. So Andrew wants to bar- borrow um, technically a hatchet or a lawnmower from Barry. Amalo, so Barry says, No. Lumacha, Amalo Hashilani Chalukha. And Barry says to Andrew, I'd like to borrow. Your suit, that's a very nice davening jacket you have. So Andrew says, sure, here, take my davening jacket. Take my davening jacket. I'm not a jerk like you, Barry. I lend out my stuff. That's bearing a grudge. Okay, now, in those two cases, whether you don't lend back is revenge. If you do lend back and make a comment, that's bearing a grudge. Either way, right, and that's what Rashi means. It's like your actions are altruistic, but your thoughts are, and even expressed, are uh, just as bad, right? You're holding, you're holding uh, resentment in your heart. So for monetary things, you should not do that. This is, it could be a whole discussion. Why would that be the case to now? The implication of the Gemara is for everything else, you can. What, if somebody insulted you, 
then you can. And in fact, the Gemara seems to imply that you should if you're a Tam Chacham. So what is going on here? Um, it's, it, 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 the, the article brings down halachas that this is not really halacha lemaisa. Fascinating. Chafetz Chaim says that the truth is we're not really sure in any scenario what exactly if it's appropriate to have nakama or, or natira in that scenario. And since it literally says losikav lositar in the Torah, that is a suffolk daraisa. So he takes it very halachic. Because we have a suffolk daraisa, you have to go suffolk daraisa l'chumra, and therefore, better not do revenge. Even though Me'ikar didn't, you could do revenge and resentment. Better not, because uh, you don't know whether it has like a monetary component, okay? Um, or you never really know exactly when it is or isn't appropriate. Let's go a little further. It says the Gemara, the Tsar the Gufa, love. Wait a minute. It's not wrong to take revenge in the case of personal suffering. So this is going to be more in line with the Ashkafas that we think. Right? We learn in the Bryce that those who suffer and insult and don't respond, or hear, or people disgrace them and they don't respond. And people who, right, they do the Ratzon Hashem out of pure Ava and even in suffering, they're happy, right? These are very inspirational figures, right? Right? For them, they said the sun is going to shine bright for them, right? And this is uh, famously in Chovas Olavavos, the whole idea of when somebody beats, if somebody has, you know, a problem with you and you just let it sort of roll off your, your shoulders, um, then, then, then it's the highest form of Tzitkus. So this is more the philosophy, right, and the Ashkafa that we're used to, that you're supposed to just take it and not dish it. So what is this whole idea of Nakama being a good thing for a Tamar Chacham? So the Gemara says, no. Le'olam did not le'belibe. This is an unbelievable thing. Rashi explains. This is a third line of Rashi. That nakid le'belibe really means, Rav Shimri Yatzadik is saying that if somebody comes and does something to you personally and, injure, and, 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 and tries to, right, personally uh, cause you some, some form of emotional or, or harm or whatever, that you can keep the matter in mind, but you don't act physically. You're allowed to, however, keep, uh, keep account of, of that person, the fact that he uh, did, in fact, right, um, hurt you. In other words, you're allowed to keep it in your heart, but you can't act on it. As Rashi says, But if somebody else is going to be, uh, take the comma on your behalf, In other words, if somebody's going to take uh, uh, is going to exact revenge on your benefit, you stoke, you just, you know, you stay quiet, but you're not exactly uh, going to uh, condone it, and you're not going to condemn it either. Okay? So that the Gemara challenges, as we would. This is where you see in all the Muslims farm that we read, right? A person is supposed to be that if a person wronged you, you're supposed to be Michael. That's what my verum dice of, right? You, you give up your rights of, of mida keneged mida, right? We're not, we're not a shem. Somebody does something to us, it's not our place to exact mida keneged mida. So if you do that, mavriyin la kal pshav, sees that, and he deals with you also, right, magnanimously. And he's not going to exactly measure out a mida keneged mida for every little thing you did. If you're mavater, he'll be mavater on your behalf. So that's great. That's what we always learn. So says the Gemara, yeah, that's when the person apologizes. In other words, Rava is saying 
that when the person apologizes, you're supposed to be maver al-midoisav. But if a person doesn't apologize, then are you supposed to not forget? So these are complicated issues. I have to mention Dr. David Blass, grew up in West Strathmore, now lives in Rapid Shemesh, Shlita, a big gun and tzaddik and a dear friend and a psychiatrist. And uh, over the years, we talked about this concept of forgiveness, right, as opposed to bearing a grudge. And it's, it's more complicated than people think. People think, and this has to do with our Gemara, as you'll see, people sometimes get too formulaic. They think you have to go to somebody and get a machalach. If you can extract a machalach, machalach, machalach out of somebody, that's the formula. Then, then, and your ledger in Shemaim, you've been forgiven. Doesn't exactly work that way. A person, Khalila, abused somebody for, for years and years, emotionally or however. So, and what? They go on Ervim Kippur and they say, are you meichel me? Like, this is not, right? Just like tshuva it isn't really just vidui. Similarly, forgiveness, isn't just, are you meichel me? Right? It's, it's, it's just got to be more real and deeper than that. Tshuva has, and, and, and you see it, he bears it out. He's a big Maimonidean scholar, Dr. Blass. So he, the Rambam, in Hilchos Tshuva, he'll discuss the aspect of vidui, but it'll also discuss the actual process of tshuva, which is you get to the core of the matter, you work on the matter, you discuss it, you get on the same page, you work on the aziva sachet, you work on kabbalah asid, all of these aspects of, of forgiveness and of tshuva, whether it's bein adam l'makam or bein adam l'chaveiro. That's the real work of, of repentance. So when you do that, so certainly you should be maver al midosav. But if somebody is just an abusive person, right, uh, then you have to watch out for them, you know, and, and they never forgave and they, ne- and they never asked for any forgiveness. So, so a person, you know, you'll, they'll, they'll tell you that if you, if you harbor hard feelings, you're only hurting yourself. Okay. This is not, you know, this is not a psychology session, but the point is that it's more complicated than, than one would argue. Like, what does the Gemara mean when it says that Tamit Chacham should have some sort of Nakama? I think it just means, maybe, I'm just gonna suggest, because these things are too complicated, um, to offer just one shot and assume that that's the shot. Um, but it means you should, you're supposed to have value. You're supposed to A, have awareness. Ah. Right? They always, you're supposed to have awareness. It's not a value to say, you know what? I, I, I'm totally unaware of the reality around me. That's not a value. Tamar Chacham is not somebody who just says, God forbid somebody gets a, a diagnosis. Tamar Chacham doesn't want to go to the doctor, right? No, Tamar Chacham goes to the doctor for regular visits and gets treated the way they need to be treated, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it's with that, with anything. And with Benanam Lamakam, Benanam Lachavero, Tamar Chacham has heightened awareness. And so when something happens to them, they are aware of it. So, Enachinami, you have to work out Right, whatever the issue is, but you engage with the world with the with the sense of awareness of this happened. I always I'm always fascinated when you see people like Rasha Weiss and all these other Tamilchachem. They remember the date, the time, the place, the context. They remember right what's going on. They're not just like um, you know uh, professors that are that 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 just ivory tower that have no no connection to the reality it's their connection to reality in our right it's a Torah value to have a, a real connection to reality and try to deal with things in a real way i hope that that was in some ways a way of be of of reading this gemara that that really speaks to as we always do um in in these uh in in the wisdom of chazal the balance between 
understanding and remembering and, and having a, an awareness, aware account of what, what went on and balancing that with being my veromi doisov, it's, it's a, it's a balance that we deal with every day. Bezat Hashem will be zocha to balance those things, to be aware, but at the same time be very, very mevater, not create negative narratives, chas v'shalom, in our mind, not harbor feelings, uh, that are unhealthy, but at the same time, um, deal with things in the most proper way. Okay. So now we're going back to the Mishnah. So just a little bit of a, of a break here. Let's go back to 21st finger, is it? So when you read in the Mishnah, remember, we said that if there was a tithe, we play 21st finger, is it? So now I, now I know Andrew knows how to play, but I'm not sure Barry knows how to play 21st finger, is it? What happens is you, some people, when you go, you go in a circle, some people stick out one finger, some people stick out two fingers, and then you go around, and then when you have like six people, it works really well, and then whoever's the 21st finger is it. And then by sticking out two or one hand, you've now changed the math so that when you go around, right, um, uh, it's a game, right? In other words, it's not predetermined who it's going to be because some people are going to put out two, some people are going to put out one. That's what the Mishnah sounds like because the Mishnah says that you can't cheat with your thumb, right, and later say, I, I put out two fingers or I put out one. That's how 21st finger is it. What actually happened in the Mikdash? Something very similar. They went around in a circle just so that we understand this, or Simon Wolf explained. So let's say, whatever, 30 dudes, 30 Kohanim showed up to do the Avodah and they were tied. So they picked a big number. They said, okay, we're going to do it 150. And some people stuck out one finger and some people stuck out two fingers. That's what it seemed like. And then when you get to 150, that's the guy that's going to do the Avodah. That's what it sounds like in the Mishnah. The Gemara is going to explain that's not necessarily exactly what happened. Says the Gemara. Wait a minute. Once you say that you could take out two fingers, you have to teach you that you can put out one finger? It says, Obviously, you could put out one if you could put out two. So the Gemara answers, so the Rav Chista's, uh approach here, we're going to see, is the, the Gemara here is going to explain that really it's not exactly what we said. It's not a straight up game of 21st finger, is it, where the strategy is either to put out one or two fingers in order for it, the schus to land on you. Rather, really, everybody just puts out one finger. And we're just going to go around and, in fact, whoever it lands on, that number that the Mamuna is going to pick, whoever it lands on, that is going to be the person who's going to get the schus of the Trumasadeshin. The only, um, the only thing is, if you cheat by putting out two fingers, how's that cheating? Because it doubles your chances, right? It increases your chances to be picked if you cheat and put out two fingers, and we catch you, then you're going to be disqualified completely. That's, that's what basically is going on. So if you were a bari, you, you have, right, when somebody sometimes, somebody is um, not feeling 100% and doesn't have full dexterity, they can't really stick out one finger um, they, without sticking out the other, right? The fingers are kind of shaky and connected, so that's what it means. It means that if you can and you're healthy, then you stick out one finger. If you can only stick out two at a time, then obviously you can stick out two, and we're not going to... Uh, disqualify you, it's okay, because we know that you're doing it because you're, you're, you're sick. You're not, you're not well enough to stick out one finger. We have a brace that says, so you can only stick out one finger, not two. It sounds like it's just, uh, it sounds like, regardless of whether you're healthy or not. So it says the Gemara. The, so the Gemara explains that that Brisa explains that it's talking about when you're healthy, you stick out one. But if you're sick, then you stick out two. 
And then it has a weird ending to the bride, so it says that Yechidim can put out two. What's Yechidim? That even though, so, so again, this could be confusing, but what it means is like this. Hayechidim Motsim Shtayim means that Yechidim were people that were off to the side. They were like, uh, why were they off to the side? There are different reasons why a sick person could be in quarantine, for example. So therefore, now they're off to the side. So if they're if they're sick, if a person has whatever COVID and they're very, and they're and they're off to the side, wearing a mask, but they still want to do the avoda. So we're going to have a lot of purel in the true sedation, but we're still going to let him do it because he's already feeling better, and we're just have a suffix where he's contagious. We're going, to, we're going to mask him up and use a lot of purel. Well, anyway, the point is, if he sticks out two fingers, we're not going to think that he's two people. That's the point. That by being a yachid. Right. The whole point is you have a whole bunch of kohanim and it's very tzafuf, right? They're crowded around in a circle. So when a person puts out two, you might accidentally count it as two kohanim. But if the guy is a yachid, he's off to the side on his own, he could put out 50 fingers. We're still going to count them as only one. That's why the yachid is allowed to put out two fingers. And we're going to know to only count them as one person. That's what it's saying. So the Gemara says, wait a minute. So, so you're telling me that when a person puts out two fingers, you only count one. I've had Tanya, but we said the Brisa ain't motzin lo shalish velo gudal that you can't stick out your middle or your finger or your thumb. This was the right. This is what our Mishnah said. Our Mishnah says that you can't cheat. So that's what I was saying before. That the fact that you could cheat like this sounds like it is a game of twenty-first finger. Is it where if you put out two fingers, you're going to count in two? Says the Bryce of Imhotzi Shalish Moninlo, but if a coin does put out a middle finger, we are going to count it. Gudol ein Moninlo, but the thumb no. Velo od el shalokim min hamemuna bepakia. And not only that, but if he puts out his thumb, not only are we going to disqualify him, but there's a guy that the memuna is is going to be in charge of the pakia. The pakia, as we'll see, will be the whip. So that implies that he's, they're going to count his extra middle finger if, if it's there. So the Gemara says, there too. My monin lo nami achas. So what we said before, that's the resolution of these braces. What it means we're, we're going to count? doesn't mean we're going to count it as two fingers. We're going to count it as one. Monin lo is also referring to one. Elamai. The answer is, as we said before, that if a person uh, is putting out right a middle finger and an index finger, then that's an acceptable way to put out a finger because it's not to be confused as two because the middle and the index finger are close to each other and we're going to count it as one. If the guy starts cheating, putting out a thumb, the thumb and the index finger are further apart, it makes it seem like those are extra fingers and that guy is going to get whipped and he's going to be disqualified completely. We're not going to count him as one. We're not going to count him as nothing. Okay. So that is the point. What's this whip? My pakia. What's a pakia? Amarav madra. Madra. Okay, what's a madra? My madra? Amar papa, matraka de tayaye. That's the whip that the Arab merchants had, the psik reshe. The end of it, this is a different psik reshe. We're not getting into machlokis, uh, Rabbi Hudu, Rabbi Shimon over here. Echa Shabbos, we're getting into what? Psik reshe, literally, the split tips of the strands of the end of this whip. It's very special. The Romans were, um, and the Arabs, and I mean, in those days, they, they were, yeah, if nothing else, they were amazing at torture and they had all kinds of crazy devices. Anyway, so this was a whip that had uh, split strands. Okay. Now, Amar Abaye. Miresh Hava Amina. At first, I used to say the following. This is literally just talking about what the Pakia is. Abaye is telling you a little history that he used to think Haditnan because in the Mishnah, 
right? In Shekalim, that we already learned, it said, Ben Bavai Memune Allah Pakia. That Ben Bavai was the one appointed over the Pakia, that he was in charge of that. So Amina Psilsa, I thought it was the wicks of the base of Mikdash. I thought he was in charge of the, of the wicks. Why? Kidnan, because it was, that was based on the Mishnah and Sukkah. In Sukkah, we're going to, Bezrat Hashem learn, it says, the worn out, right, pants and belts of the Kohanim, from there, they would tear strips. So I always thought that those tear strips, since they were made out of cloths, that you, they were going to be turned into wicks. So I always thought that the Pakia would be, the Munal Pakia was the one making the wicks. Because that's, it says, And the word mafkin sounds like pakia. And it says that from that you used to light the wick. So I always thought that the pakia was uh, connected to the Lashon Mehena Yu Mafkin. However, it came in the Shemana Lahadasanya. Once I heard this brisa that we quoted, and that this, this little excerpt of the brisa that says that the Memuna is hitting the guy with the whip. So now, Amina my Pakia Nagda. Now I know that Pakia really is a whip. In other words, Pakia, I always thought was associated with the word Mafkian and therefore was wicks. However, now I see that it even has a closer association to the word Pakia, and therefore I've changed my mind. I've changed my tune, says Avaya, and I realize that Pakia is, in fact, the whip that they used to whip. When again? When they, when they had this, uh, tiebreaker for the Kohanim. Wow. Okay, next part of the mission now. Okay, back to the story. So there was a brisa where on a different day, a different scenario, two Kohanim running up the ramp, and in this race it gets physical. One guy is pulling ahead. So a crazy tragedy. The guy that was losing thrusts a knife into the heart of the other guy. There is somebody called Rabbi Tzadok HaKohen. He is famous, right? Uh, lived in the 1800s. This is not that Rabbi Tzadok. This is Rabbi Tzadok HaKohen, however. You see that he's a Kohen because he was standing in Malos HaUlam. And Rabbi Tzadok of that time in the base of Mikdash stood and gave muster to the people in the aftermath of this horrible tragedy. And this was a lesson then. He said, Achenu Beis Yisrael, Shimu, Listen, my brethren. It says, Interestingly enough, um, on the heels of discussing Shaul HaMelech yesterday and the fact that the mitzvah of Egla Arufa is indicative of the sensitivity that we have even to anonymous human life, and there we said it in a negative context because um, he was, Shaul HaMelech was supposed to kill Amalek, here, homiletically, Rabbi Tzadok uses that same idea of the sensitivity of human life. You see how nuanced, right, the Torah values are here. He uses that same idea to reprimand for this incident of the thrusting of the knife. Okay, so he brings out this idea of Egla Rufa. And he said, Rabbi Tzadok said, Anu al-mil havi Egla Rufa. And he said, and he was trying to bring up a homiletic point. He said, all of us are responsible which one of us should bring the Egla Arufa? Which one of us was the most insensitive to life? Al-Ha'ir or Al-Azaras? Should it be the Kohanim of the Beis Mikdash? Or perhaps should it be the responsibility of the residents of Yerushalayim? But somebody is responsible for this horrible tragedy. So go kol The entire nation cried. Ba'aviv Shaltinok. And here's where it gets weird. The father of the slain boy comes up. And he find and he and he runs up the ramp and sees the slain boy with the heart with the knife stuck in his heart and umatzok shum and he's 
and he's gurgling and he's dying, but he's still alive. So the father says two things. Number one, he says, he's going to be an atonement for all of you. And the second thing, and also, because he's still alive, right, the sakin is not yet tame, which means we should take the sakin out before it becomes tame. So these are the two thoughts that come to the father's mind as he goes up to his dying son. Number one, that he should be a kapar for all of us, like a karbun. And number two, that he, that we don't want this knife to get tame. The Gemara learned something from this. It says, The fact that the father mentioned this, so you could say, well, how could you blame, a, like who would ever, right? nobody should ever be in this situation, the father probably just lost his mind and he's blabbering gibberish, right? However, the Gemara doesn't say that. The Gemara thinks that the father's reaction was in some ways indicative of an attitude. What was the attitude then? That the Taras Kalim, they were so flum with Tumantara, more so hyper-focused on that at the expense of Shvichus Damim. And then it says, V'cheinu Omer, and we even have a Pasuk to back that up, it says, V'gam dam naki shefach v'nasheha be'me'od asher mila'es yushalayim pelepeh. That in fact, this was a time, and we see that, this is uh, uh, slashing towards Gemara, like Rav Chaim Zevin Lins, that we learn in his Lil Nishmaso, Zatzal always used to say, right? The way the, the way, the society behaves has an impact. So Menashe and, so, and the way the leaders behave impacts the way society behaves. Menashe at the time was a very, was a king. This was on the heels of, he had been a king that killed so much that dying was kind of like part of life. And so Shrikos Damim had become somewhat cheap in their eyes. And so that became more commonplace. And so they were focused. They had lost their way a little bit, lost a little bit of their focus. They're focused more on the Tumor of Atara than they were on the Shrikos Damim. Okay, so, um, fine. This is misguided, right? We can't read um, too much into it. However, uh, the, the, the reaction of the father to the extent that the Gemara is critical of it is in some way indicative of jumping to conclusions of Hashem's, right? Met, like what, what Hashem's modus operandi. He said, this is going to be a kapara. You don't, you don't exactly know that, just the way that that's very sort of like pedantic and also the warped priorities, right? So... Those things, those things could sometimes uh, come hand in hand, and so we have to always wor- worry that we're, we're, we're concerned with benadam lechavero, and we have to always be concerned that we keep our priorities uh, somewhat straight. The Gemara is going to discuss this now. The Gemara says, hi, Meister Kadim. Well, we have now two stories. One, a guy broke his leg. The other one, a guy got killed. So which one would you say happened first? So you might think, well, the guy who broke his leg, that came first. And it wasn't so bad because all he did was break his leg. They kept the practice. And then once the guy got, got killed, it had escalated to the point where they shut it down. But that's not consistent with what we said because in our very Mishnah, the guy broke his leg and right away they went into a lottery. So what are we saying here like this? Which happened first? So says the Gemara. If you say that first the guy got killed, that's, that happened first. So what are you saying? You're going to say that for breaking a leg, they, they made a lottery, but for the Shrikos Dami, they didn't? That can't be. It has to be that the episode of the broken leg happened first. So then the Gemara asks, wait a minute. Well, if that's true that the breaking of the leg happened first, and as our Mishnah discusses that they made the lottery in response to that, so then why was there even ever a race that led to the um, to tragic murder uh, the second time? To which the Gemara says, No. 
The episode where the guy killed the other guy happened first. Right? And the original thought was, well, that's an outlier, right? That's just, obviously, if a guy's thrusting a knife, he's, he's, he's not well. And so they thought that that was an outlier thing because the guy was just deranged. And then subsequently when they saw that, you know what? Uh, maybe we don't have somebody who's going to get killed, but, but certainly this is a dangerous practice, Taikina Rabban Paisa. Subsequently, when the guy broke his leg, um, and they saw that really it was dangerous, like inherently, so that's when they decided to move on to a lottery system. Okay. Three lines up from the bottom, we quote the following from the Bryce. Amar Rabbi Tzadok al Right, we said we quote that from the Brisa the Rebbe Tzadok was giving um, the uh, Musr, and he says, Right, he was saying, quoting the Egla Rufa, says the Gemara, Yushalayim basasuya Egla Rufa. He can could it really be true that you that Yushalayim would bring an Egla Rufa such if such a situation would arrive arise? Ten things you could have said about Yushalayim. Right, they're listed in Bava Kama. And one of them is, as we turn to Chavkim al-Vez, that they don't bring an Egla Rufa. Right, why? Because we say, that's one reason. In other words, it's not really anybody's municipality. It's Washington, D.C. Right, it's a federal property. So nobody really has ownership over Yerushalayim. And therefore, that's one city that can't participate in the Egla Rufa ceremony. You have to go over to the next city. Also, ve'od lo but besides, it wasn't really Shaykh, even if Yerushalayim could have participated, what it's saying is that Rabbi Tzadok was saying a homiletic, because it was not Shaykh anyways, because this was not a case of Egla Rufa. Egla Rufa is when you find a hobo in the middle of nowhere, and you don't know who killed him. Here, the guy is holding the bloody knife in his hand. We know, we saw it with our own eyes. It's not lo no domihiko, no domihiko. We know very well who killed him. So, No, he was giving a sermon. That's the point. He was giving a sermon to the people to make them, uh, to make them cry, to give them musr. And he was making a point, but it wasn't really halachically, right, uh, correct to say that, that this would be a case of Egla Arufa. Okay. Now, Ba'aviv Shiltinok, so as we said, the father of the slain went and he says, Harehu Kaparaschem, Ebadayim Bni Kayam, and we said in the Gemara that it teaches you Shakasha Lam Taras Kalim Yosem Shvichos Damim. So it says the Gemara, a fascinating psychological question. Ibailu, Shvichos Damim Hu Dazal, Aval Taras Kalim Dekai Makaima, Odilma Shvichos Damim Kedekai Makaima, Aval Taras Kalim Hi Dechamira. He says, We know that the father had a warped attitude. But what was the problem, and that it reflected the warped attitude of society at the time, but what was the problem? That blood was cheap, uh, and, and, and just Tyrus Kalim was normal, or maybe they understood that blood was precious, but they had a warped hyper-focus on, on Tyrus Kalim. So the Gemara answers, Tashma, that we learn from the fact that we have this follow-up pasuk in Menashe, it's teaching us, in fact, that the idea was that the shvichas damim was cheap, that uh, other people's lives were not important enough in those days, and that led to, and I actually showed this to my wife, I said, could you believe this crazy, that we're learning this Gemara, it's such the exquisite sort of timing is, is, um, is eerie, and she said, you know, and when I read to her this part, I, I, she said, um, a lot of times those things go hand in hand, right? In other words, when you, have, when you lose your way and you have a warped sense of, 
uh, of the value of life. So, and, and, and the Ben so sometimes you overcompensate with the Ben Adam So, a lot of their bottom, right? The Ben Adam is certainly always appropriate to, uh, to increase Ben Adam Okay, so 12 lines down on Chav Gimel Bebez, we have the discussion of Truma Sadeshin. Now we're going to talk about something called Hotsa Sadeshin. Truma Sadeshin really is clearing off the Mizbech, taking off a section. It's a ceremonial thing, as we talked about already. Now, Hotzah Sedeshin is like taking out the trash, right? That's the huge pile of ash, and you're taking it all out outside, okay? So, Tana Rabbanan, Ufashat V'lavash Begadim Acherim V'atziya Sedeshin. So, this is the Pasuk that's talking about Hotzah Sedeshin. Uh, it says that when, when you take out the, the Deshen, you, the coin would take off his clothes, right? Vayikura Vav Dalet. Velavash Bugadim Acherin. Put on other, other clothes to take out the Deshen and Machutz Makanel Makom. You're literally like almost like taking out your trash in different clothes. Shomani Kederach Yom Kippurim. I would have understood that what this means is, just like on Yom Kippur, very used to the coin gadol. He's changing from his big day kehuna uh, coin gadol to the other one, the linen and the gold, the linen and the gold. Sheposish big day kodesh velovish big day chol, right? And he's and and he's changing out of these garments. Talmud loma ufashas et gadav velavash begadim acherim. In the case of the coin gadol, when he changes out of his uh, Yom, Yom Kippur garments, he's putting on right regular big day chol, right? As my father-in-law would call his dungarees. So is that, is that what you do? You put on your jeans, so to speak, to take out the deshen, to do a tzasa deshen, take out the trash? So it says no, because the Pasuk says, v'lavash begadim acherim, that you put on other clothing, which is mashma, makish begadim shalovish, begadim shaposhet. In other words, begadim acherim sounds like you're taking off your holy garments and you're putting on other holy garments, just like the, the begadim that you're taking off for Kaddish, so too are the begadim that you're putting on. So then the, the Gemara says, So what are you learning from Acherim? They're different in the sense that they're on a lower level uh, and you put out basically like older worn out ones to take out the trash. This puts uh, the ash. So Rabbi Leezer says, Acherim v'hotzi. Right? But Rabbi Leezer says, it says Acherim and then v'hotzi. Limed ala kohanim bali mumim shikshir in the hotzi esadeshin. Rabbi Yezer had a, a, uh, an interesting uh, way of reading the pasuk. Acherim v'hotzi is referring to the people who are taking it out. That there's a limud here that even bali mum can do that particular, so to speak, avoda, that task of taking out the ash because it's not really avoda. That's the point. To which Amar Acherim pchusin mahem that Amar. Uh, Tanakama said something else that acher means other garments that are less house so so we say the debe that we learned in the brisa the tana debe rishmal begadim shabishel behem kedera larabo loyim zok ben kos larabo that you can't wear the same clean clothes for the avoda that you you that you wear for other less uh, lesser tasks so for example the um, just like Rashi explains over here that the right the waiter always wears a better outfit than the chef. The chef's in the kitchen. He's got his soiled kind of clothes. He's like in the kitchen, and this is exactly what it means. Bishel behem kater larabo. That is has the food on it. Lo yimzak ben kos larabo. If you come out as a waiter, so then you're wearing the bow tie and the piano tails, and you're looking uh, dapper. So similarly here, when you were doing the avoda in the base of Mikdash, you had to look dapper. But the actual task of taking out the ash outside, that one you would not wear your good clothes. Like my brother-in-law, David Shlita, who has his yeshivish white shirt that he wears outside. And then he has his yeshivish white eating shirt that I can't tell the difference. But it's, it's, a di- it's slightly more worn, apparently. So Amar Rishlakish Kemachlokes Beotza Kan Machlokes Rama. Rishlakish thought that just like the Tanakhama of the Ezer are talking about 
who, who can remove the ash, they also say regarding to the true Masadeshin. The Biochanan, however, held that Harama is certainly an Avoda. Hotza, it's a Machlokas whether it's an Avoda, right? Because that's the question. If it's really an Avoda, then you have to wear the big day kahuna. That's the point. But if it's not an Avoda, so then you, you, then you don't have to necessarily. So that could be what's at play here, to which the Gemara says, why would Rish Lakish say that it's also Beharama? My time with Rish Lakish, in other words, he's reading the Pasuk. The Pasuk only mentions two out of the four begotten. It says, right? This is, we have our laner extraordinaire Barry. So it's only mentioning the Midovad and the Michnesevad. So it's saying that you're only doing, wearing two of the four begotten. So that must mean that it's not a real Avoda. So, and Rabbi Yochanan responds, Rabbi Yochanan, Gali Rachman, Bechsonus, Michnasayim, Vuadin, Mitznefes, Bavnet. Rabbi Yochanan is saying no, that even though the Pasuk only mentions two Begadim, it's, re- it's also revealing that it's talking about the Mitznefes, Bavnet. So I think this would be a good place to uh, continue tomorrow. Where are we? Maishna, approximately five, ten, approximately fifteen lines up from the bottom of Chavkim on the base, we'll pick up with this idea of the big day Kehuna. Merci.